Hey, good morning, friends. We live in some uncertain times right now, and today I want to talk about how that can be valuable for us. We're going to talk about the treasure of uncertainty. And for this to really work today, you're going to want to get a couple of things so that you can interact with this sermon. We're going to pause a couple of times so that you can interact with a scripture or write down some responses to questions. So you're going to want something to write with and something to write on. And I'll give you a moment right now just to go ahead and, and go collect those. But everybody is going to want something they can write with and, and write on this morning uh, while we talk about the value of uncertainty. We live in a world that really rewards certainty. People who publish academic journals or scientific articles are expected to be certain uh, we expect from our leaders to be certain about their decisions and to know all of the facts and what's going on. And uh, people tweet as if they know the answer to everything, as if everyone is an expert in every issue known to man. This is, in many ways, how we communicate today. So certainty is highly valued, and yet there are, are rich possibilities when we don't know. Sometimes it's good to admit, I don't know. For example, right now as church leadership, the elders and the ministers in our church and in every congregation uh, in the area and around our nation are dealing with some uncertainty, like how quickly to get back to worship in public, when to launch small groups in person again, and how to keep each other safe and at the same time um, not stay isolated in our homes forever. These are uncertain times for us, and this is good because... Even though we're facing danger, and even though there, there are a lot of negatives because of this disease, and a lot of suffering because of it, we have an opportunity, maybe the unique opportunity in our lifetime, to think about what we value most, to think about what really matters. What is the world that we want to go back to? What are the parts of normal that are worth having back? And what are the parts that are just not worth it? We're going to think about that today through this unique speech in the book of Acts, chapter 17. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture for some reasons that I'll tell you about momentarily. But it's a unique speech because it's one of the few times that we see Paul the Apostle talking about Jesus to people who have no history reading the Bible, not the Hebrew Scriptures and certainly not yet the Gospels about Jesus or any of Paul's letters, they are completely new to the God of the Bible. And the way Paul talks to them is different than most of his letters, and it's different than most of the other speeches and sermons in the book of Acts. So we have a unique insight here into the way that Paul, this Holy Spirit-inspired man, talked to people when uh, they showed interest in his God. And when they asked questions. Last week we read from 1 Peter, and Peter told us to be prepared to share the hope that we have and to do that with gentleness and respect and self control. And then we saw that our hope is founded on the gospel of Jesus and the critical contours of that, like his death and his resurrection, and that our hope is grounded in the promises of God. Today we get to see how, how does Paul do that when he's invited by these philosophers to talk about Jesus for a few minutes. So in the scripture reading, you've already had a few verses uh, from Acts 17. 
In fact, you've heard the speech itself, verses 22 to 31. But I want to ask, why does Paul even give this speech? What is going on in this situation that he even has this opportunity? And there's a few unique aspects of Acts 17 that we should take notice of. The first one is that Paul in Athens, this city in Greece, is disturbed. He's really upset in his spirit, uh, provoked in his spirit, because he sees all of these idols in the city. They're just full of idols, statues to these gods, gods that supposedly would give access to wealth or help your family grow uh, up healthy and strong or the crops to come in at the right time or many different kinds of benefits for the nation and for security and for the emperor or whatever else you could imagine that is good in life. There's these gods to worship and to offer sacrifices to in hopes that they might give all these gifts. And because there was some uncertainty about whether they had named all of the gods and they didn't want to displease any, they had a statue to an unknown god. And so Paul's distressed about all of these idols, but he notices that there's this unknown god statue. And he uses that as an open door to start talking about the true God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the father of Jesus Christ, and to preach actually about Jesus and, and his resurrection. Well, this stirs the people in the city up. He, he does this in the synagogue with the Jews who do know about the God of Israel, but then he does it in the marketplace where people haven't yet heard about this teaching. And some of the philosophers there are really interested, and some of them are troubled. And so they give Paul this invitation. It says they took him to the Areopagus, which is the local council that ruled over the city in regards to certain kinds of decisions. They invite him to talk more about this God at the Areopagus. So they take him up there and they ask him some questions. And it's not really clear whether he has any choice to go or not. But the point is this, Paul has a unique opportunity with these philosophers who like to discuss and debate new ideas, and they're interested in what he has to say. There is some uncertainty. There, there's a little opportunity for Paul to ask questions, uh, to tell a story about God that will cause people to think about their lives and what matters and what doesn't matter so much. So what I'd like you to do right now is we're about to have the first moment where we'll pause the video. And I want someone in your location today to read verses 22 to 31 out loud. And here's a few ideas to help make this memorable or unique. If you've got access to a cell phone that can display on your television, uh, where you can put an, an image from Google up on your TV or on a computer screen, do a quick Google search for Areopagus, Athens Areopagus and find one of the many great pictures of this rock outcropping that's in Athens, where the Areopagus met and where they considered their decisions as they ruled over aspects of the city. This is where they take Paul, and it would be nice to have a little bit of a backdrop where you can see and think about being there. And just imagine for a minute who was there and what was at stake for them economically. What was at stake for them in their uh, local safety as far as what if they uh, upset Rome and Rome decides that Athens needs to be taught a lesson through the military? 
What is at stake for them as far as buying, selling, uh, their marriages, their children, their way of life, their culture, all of the worship going on in their city? Think about some of the people and what's at stake for them with this picture of the Areopagus in mind. And then have someone in your setting read these verses. Now, if you're by yourself this morning, uh, read them out loud so that you get both the word on the page and the audible experience. And if you're with your family or with multiple people this morning, pick someone, maybe one of the, the younger ones, to read this with some fervor, with some gusto, with some energy. Read it as if it was truly an impassioned speech in front of the Areopagus. So verses 22 to 31, and I'm going to go ahead and let you do that right now, so pause the video. All right. So welcome back. I hope that the reading of Scripture is memorable. Paul taught Timothy that commit ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And so we are supposed to read these Scriptures out loud. And when we're together like this this morning, it's just a great opportunity. Now I want to ask, what did you notice? What was noticeable in this speech that's different from other sermons or speeches about Jesus and about God in the Bible? What was noticeable? Here's a few things I was thinking about. Compare this to your own thoughts or something that you've already discussed as a, as a family. This is a unique telling of the scriptures that leads to Jesus. When we see Peter or Paul preaching in front of Jewish audiences, people who are God-fearers like Cornelius, who's a Gentile but knows the story of the Bible, they talk about a lot of historical events dealing with Abraham and Moses and the law, and, and they, they get into the things that people already know about. But here, Paul gives a unique kind of telling. He still talks about the story of Scripture, but he does it in less specific terms and in broader strokes from the beginning of time until the end of time, really. He talks about the God who created all things, the world and everything in it, in verse 24. The Lord of heaven and earth who doesn't live in temples built by human hands. Do you notice how quickly Paul moved to the fact that this is a city full of temples? And he's being gentle, and yet he's bringing up a difference, a key difference or contrast between their life and worship and the Christian worship, which is this God that he's proclaiming is different from their gods. Doesn't need a temple. In fact, can't even live in one. He doesn't need to be served by human hands, verse 25. He doesn't need anything, verse 25. What makes this God unique? He's not in need. Wow, what an opportunity to have a God who doesn't need anything, who isn't petulant, who isn't angry with you because you can't meet his needs. This might be a new idea to these people who think of God as some kind of angry dictator or needy person in the sky, that the right sacrifices bring rain in time for the harvest, the wrong sacrifices don't. Paul's saying, no, 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 this God doesn't need anything. Now, we reflect on that and we might recognize that today there are still many people who think about the true God that he's needy or that he's angry, or that if you don't do certain things the right way that he just lashes out or strikes back. But Paul says, God really doesn't need what's made by human hands. He's not in need of anything, but he himself, rather than being a taker, is a giver. Look at this next part in verse 25. He gives everyone life and breath and everyone and everything else. So Paul is talking about a God who is not needy. He's not taking. He's, he's giving. Wow. 
Here's a couple other noticeable things uh, that I saw in Paul's speech. He pays attention to his audience. He's clearly been listening and he's had his eyes open. We can see this because he shows interest in their unknown God. This is his way to get communication started with them. He notices their interest in worship and in an unknown God. He uses that as an open door. But even closer, Paul pays attention to their values, their art, their poetry, the stories that they tell. This probably took some time, not just one pass through the city, but as Paul's listening in the marketplace and the synagogue, he's learning about what they value in this town because he quotes known poets. Maybe you took note of this also, that down in uh, verse 27 and 28, uh, Paul is moving towards the felt needs of the people. And he quotes two other prophets in verse 28. In him we live and move and have our being, which is from a Cretan philosopher named Epimenides. And then he says, we are his offspring. Some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, from this Stoic philosopher, Eridus. So Paul here has taken time to listen and to pay attention to the culture, the story of these people, and he appeals to their restlessness, to their longing, to their felt needs of their human hearts. This is such a special part of this speech. It's so special. I'm going to have you pause the video again in a moment and write out by hand these verses. Whether you're by yourself this morning or with your family, uh, if you even have the chance to use some crayons for the kids or some colored markers or whatever, but you might want to write this in a journal or a notebook or on an index card even where you can come back to it or where you can put it in a mirror or somewhere that you will see it because these verses are life-changing. They address the felt needs of the ancient, uncertain Athenians. And they meet the felt needs of modern, uncertain people too. Look at verse 27 and verse 28. God has distributed people through the world, different nations, different times, different boundaries. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. What a great promise that God is not far from any one of us. For in him, these are the poets, we live, move, and have our being, for we are his offspring. Paul's appeal to the longing of the people of Athens, to their restlessness. Uh, and later, a great uh, church author, Augustine, will write, our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. This is the appeal that Paul's making to them in their restlessness, in their uh, existential anxiety, if you will, in their searching for what is yet unknown. Paul says there is a God who is so close that he's always within reach. Now, that can sound terrifying if you think of God as a needy, abusive tyrant in the sky. But if you connect these two things, that God is the giver of life, he doesn't need anything. He's a giver. And then that he's always present and always near, you just might be meeting some felt needs uh, in the hearts of your listeners or in your own heart. Maybe you didn't realize this about God. So take a moment, pause the video right now, and write out verses 27 and 28 in full so that you can keep this and that you can see it, feel it, and hear it as you write it out. Go ahead and do that.
All right, welcome back for the last time now. We'll finish up here quickly. Now you've had a chance to read the speech and to write out a couple of verses, and maybe uh, living in these verses for a few minutes, you're realizing uh, that we have a lot of longings of our hearts too. We have confusion about our world, uncertainty about where we're going. What does this mean for the church? What does it mean for businesses? Let me just name a couple of the potential felt needs that might be going on in your heart or in your home and certainly are in our town. There are needs of belonging. So for instance, uh, do I have people to talk to? Am I in community? Right now, maybe in a unique way, more than we've had a chance to see in our whole lives, because of our isolation in our homes, we're testing some of our belonging. Uh, we're, we're experiencing the need for human contact. This might be an opportunity for you to realize and think about how much you really have been missing the fellowship of the church. How much more than just being part of a small group, you need to be, become a belonging creator. Find some way to connect with people so that you and they have this belonging need met by caring for each other. Uh, there's so many things this might bring to light, but we think about being alone and belonging with others. This brings up some real needs. There's several other ones. Uh, livelihood is a real issue right now. Some people are not getting the income that they had before. Uh, the government can do some. They have done some, but livelihood needs are a real issue right now. So right now we're asking questions like, what do I really need to get by? And how much is enough? And maybe we're looking at uh, our closets and our garages full of items that aren't nutritious and thinking, wow, I've done a lot of spending instead of a lot of saving. I haven't prepared for the lean times. I didn't use the, you know, the wealth of my uh, uh, wealthy times so very well. Or maybe there have never been wealthy times. It's always been lean and now it's nothing. And if that's the case for you, first I would like to say, please reach out to the church. If you're in need of food, basic needs aren't being met, please let us know because we can keep that private and we would love to do something. We just don't want anybody to go without their basic needs being met. We've even provided a link on our webpage, uh, this communication form, where you can let us know and no one except for a couple of the leadership who will keep it private we'll see that you've sent that in. So right now there's livelihood needs. We either have them or we see others with them. These are real, real needs, felt needs and experience needs. There's other ones. There's emotional needs. We talked about that some last week. There are always spiritual needs. And right now we might be paying more attention than ever to that. And there's safety needs. You know, this has been distressing to me, but calls of domestic abuse have risen by 100, 200, 300% in different cities and different states. As people at home are struggling to deal with their fears and their anxieties and sometimes taking it out on others, this is a real problem. There's real needs right now. And we, the people who believe in Jesus, should be prepared to do what we can to help. Because uh, unless these kinds of needs are met and addressed by a living, a living and giving God, what really is the point of religion anyways? This is the story that Paul is sharing. Now you may think of other needs, but let me read briefly a poem that just cries out of the felt need to know God. This is a, an old poem. Uh, let me read it briefly. Once more before I move on, I'm directing my gaze forward 
In loneliness I'm lifting my hands up to thee, to whom I flee, to whom I from the deepest bottom of my heart solemnly consecrate altars, so that at all times his voice would call me again. Thereupon, written deeply inside, the word is blazing like fire to the unknown God. I am his, even if I remained with the horde of the infidels up to this hour. I am his, and I feel the ties that pull me down and fight. And even if I should flee, still would force me into his service. I want to know the unknown one. Thou who's reaching deeply into my soul, who's raging through my life like a storm. Thou unfathomable one, akin to me, I want to know thee and to serve thee. Now this is written in some really old sounding language. And you might be able to find more modern English versions of it. But what a poem of longing, of a heart that's reaching out into the unknown with these needs of existence and questioning in uncertainty, where is all this going? It might be a surprise to us that this poem was written by the philosopher, uh, the more modern philosopher, Frederick Nietzsche, when he was a teenager. Late in his teen years, he wrote this poem. And we know he wrote a lot of other things later that uh, seems like maybe he gave up on this quest for the unknown God. Maybe he didn't. But this is a great look into a heart that is longing to know the unknown, that is uncertain. And that uncertainty is a valuable thing because God might be able to step in and answer that with hope and with healing when our hearts feel this way and are restless. So how are we restless now? Think about this. What are you restless and longing for? To get back together with groups of people, uh, to spend time eating out with family and friends again, to be able to go out to parks and concerts and ball games. So many things that we're restless for and we're longing for. But I'm, what I'm asking you to do today is to think about what the true needs are behind that. I bet none of us are restless to go back to the office for 70 hours a week although some of you are working that hard or more at home between juggling distance work and uh, child care and uh, education of your kids at home. There's actually some people that are working far more, but we're, we're probably not longing to go back to 70, 80 hour work weeks, are we? No, we, we're enjoying time with family to some extent, I know. But what are the true felt needs? We want to get out, we want to be about, we want to do things again. We want life back as normal, but we don't want the tyranny of debt in our lives. We don't want the tyranny of, of shopping uh, till we have all of these things that we can't use and can't eat in our homes, in our lives. We, we don't want the tyranny of uh, the, the continuing issues of race in our world. We don't want the tyranny of hunger in our world. We don't want the tyranny of all of this political division in our world. We want peace with each other, relationships, belonging, safety, spiritual security. And Paul makes this unique claim here that Jesus is different from all of the ways the people of Athens tried to live. And he's different than most of the ways we try to live too. And the unique difference about Jesus uh, is that God proved that Jesus is truly the one who sets the standard for the world by raising him from the dead. By raising Jesus from the dead, this living God who's a giver made proof forever 
that Jesus can be trusted, that Jesus' words are worth reading, that his way is worth following. This is what Paul was talking about in verse 18 when he's invited to the Areopagus. He brings it up again in verse 31, and that's what ends the conversation. Some people are interested in hearing more about resurrection, and some people just make snide remarks and they shut down right there. And this is true for us too. The resurrection is what makes all the difference. The resurrection is the reason that we repent and we change our minds about God. The resurrection is the reason that we repent about the way that we used to live before the pandemic and think about how God is calling us to have new, fruitful lives after the pandemic. The resurrection of Jesus, when we think about it, is what makes all the difference. So I'm going to end here this morning and ask you just to think about the resurrection for a few minutes. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you to think that 2,000 years ago, the claim is that after Jesus' life and his ministry and his death, that God uniquely raised him from the dead in a body that can't die again, and that he's promised to do the same for you if you're in Jesus Christ. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to you that you will be embodied again, that life is still out there in front of all of this uncertainty? How would this change the way that you look at life, the rat race of life, the collecting of things, the consuming of things, the way we use our time? What would repentance look like to you How would you change if this resurrection is true? This is what makes all the difference. And this is what I want to pray for you about today. That as we read these words and we write these scriptures down, and we're in this time of uncertainty, that we would become certain about Jesus and his resurrection in a way that is so true that it might shake all of our other certainties to the core, but that we would remold and reshape our lives around this truth and live as if this is the one truth that matters most. A loving and giving God who is not needy, but who gave his son, and he raised him from the dead to prove that he is truly the Lord of the universe and that his teachings are true. What difference does that make to you? If you want to talk to a minister about it more this week, please write to us. Fill out that card again. If you have Uh, livelihood needs, if you've got safety needs at home, if you have spiritual needs you want to talk about, please reach out to us. Let me pray for you and for all of us right now. God in heaven who made all things, who loves and gives, uh, in whom our very life exists, thank you for being a giving and a good God. Many of us struggle with doubts and many people are uncertain about you, but right now because of the COVID virus, we're uncertain about so many things. Help us as we consider Jesus and his resurrection to realize the ways that he uniquely meets our needs and our longings, our restlessness and our uncertainties in a way that no one else can and help us to throw ourselves on him and hope. And I pray, Father, that anyone who is in need of some kind would reach out to this church and that we would be able to help meet their needs and to help them as you enable us through your Holy Spirit and through the rich resources of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray and together all of us say, amen. God go with you and give you peace.